Well, good morning to you again. If you'll turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and that, the text is also going to be on the screen uh, behind me as we go, but if you'd like to uh, have it in front of you, and that's where you're going, Ezekiel chapter 12. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and I'll be starting in verse 17. When we last left Ezekiel, he'd been given this charge to pack a bag for exile to visualize and symbolize that God was going to keep His promises to Israel. This promise being, if you rebel against me, if you essentially hate me, reject me, and and pursue other gods... In light of all that I've done for you, in light of putting you in a land, in light of making these promises to you, you will be removed from the land, and you have God's people not believing what He said, right? And so that's part of Ezekiel's job, a big part of Ezekiel's job is simply to say one thing over and over, and that is God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. So verse 17, the word of the Lord, that's the word of Yahweh, came to me, son of man, son of Adam, eat your bread with quaking. And drink water with trembling and with anxiety. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the land of Israel. They shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way her land will be stripped of all it contains on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. The inhabited cities shall be laid waste. And the land shall become a desolation. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel, saying, The days grow long, and every vision comes to nothing. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say to them, The days are near and the fulfillment of every vision, for there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed, it will no longer be delayed. But in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies times far off. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, None of my words will be delayed any longer. But the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. Indeed, He keeps all of His promises, and these are His words, the words of our Lord. And so we say, thanks be to God. By way of introduction, I want to remind you of something that many of you will remember, that during the, what we might call the heat of the, 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 the really the, the earliest parts, that's what I'll say, the earliest parts of the um, COVID-19 pandemic, we began together uh, in, in various ways and at various times confessing something that I call the Liturgy for Exiles, which is something that I put together uh, out of uh, texts from the Bible and concepts from the Bible, things that I wanted to make sure were very clear and that you and I could hold to in what remains to be a very weird time. And there was this one part that I want to recall to your memory. It was sort of a question and response, question and answer bit. And there was this bit here. What, what sustains you while you wait for the Lord? What we sang about in Psalm 130. And the answer is the promises of my Lord Jesus. He loves me. He died for me. He rose for me. He prays for me. He has promised that he will never forsake me. And he does not lie. All right? And I really want that to be 
just at the, at the forefront of your brain during this sermon, so that if I were to ask you, what does God not do? You could say with confidence, God does not lie. Let's try that out. What does God never do? God does not lie, ever. He always keeps His promises. Now, this is really important for you and I because we live in a world of liars, if you don't know, right? We live in a world of liars, and even where... What seems real solid and trustworthy and true one day tends to turn to liquid within the next few weeks or months. And so, why did we confess this? We confess this because I submit to you that this is the most fundamental thing that you and I begin to doubt when things get really hard, when things get really frightening, scary, uncertain, what have you, whatever. It goes all the way back to the garden, right? Really, could you go to the next one? It goes all the way back to the garden, this moment in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent says to Eve, did God actually say? Right? Did God really say? Or if you like the King James, hath God really said? Hath God said? And in one sense, there are two questions that are happening there. One is, has God lied? Okay, and We've already answered that one. What does God not do? God does not lie. You guys are getting really good at this. Okay, so God does not lie, and that's what's operating in this question. Right? Has God really said that? Is that really something you can trust? I also think we can see something of um, almost when you, you hear, uh, you know, if you've had the experience perhaps of being in a classroom, and maybe the assignment that you hear sounds too much for you, just, just I can't accomplish it in that amount of time, and you say, did, did the teacher actually assign that? Right? Because it sounds unfair. I think there's a little bit of that going on as well. As in, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of any tree in the garden? Which, of course, would be ridiculous. Right? So almost a sense of, of twisting God's words and saying that sounds really unreasonable. This continues to be a problem for post-Genesis 3, post-fall into sin, people like you and me. God speaks in His Word, and the world and your flesh, and my flesh, and the devil whisper, did he really say that though? Did he really mean that though? And as we've seen in Ezekiel, the people that are still living in Jerusalem know that God has spoken. That's not what they're confused about. They know that God has said that if they live life in open rebellion against Him, they will be removed from their land in judgment. In other words, God has said to them, if you choose to make me your enemy, then that is what I will be, and we'll see how that goes for you. So there are now two problems then that confront Israel, both of which are addressed in our text this morning. That's in chapter 12, verses 17, uh, until the end of the chapter, verse 28. One of those is a problem of what, what we might call a problem of being overly comfortable. Because when you get overly comfortable with your circumstances, it just tends to be, and I, I, I don't know why this is, I'd love to, I mean, talk with some of you about it maybe who, who thought about it longer than I have, but it, it just tends to be the case that when we get really comfortable with our circumstances, our consciences and our spirits just get kind of dulled to the things of God. Like the more stuff you have and the more money you have and the more satisfied you are with those things, the less you feel your need for God. Now, that doesn't mean your needs actually change, you understand. 
it, it's a bit of a uh, it, it's a bit of a, an opiate, you might say. It, it's puts you to spiritual sleep, and so that's a problem of comfort and just a problem of unbelief. That no, God's not going to do what He said, and so God tells Ezekiel then to do something. I'm going to go over to that text now, beginning in verse 17. God tells Ezekiel. Eat your bread with quaking and drink your water with trembling and with anxiety. So here's Ezekiel. What he's going to do, I mean, you can kind of picture it. He's going to sit down to his meals in front of these exiles that are around him and look absolutely terrified when he's trying to eat. So much for, think of Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies, right? But there's this steadiness, right? I shall not want, I, I shall not fear, my cup overflows, Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not, not here. Not here. He's saying, eat your bread as, as you're eating, as you're drinking. Be absolutely consumed by your anxiety. If I can... Oh, what's the word? Um, if I can sort of editorialize in the text just a bit. This is not in the text, but I don't think it'd be too far from the, from the, from the reality of our language today to say, Ezekiel, have a panic attack while you're eating. Okay? Now, why eating and drinking? Why eating and drinking? Because, I mean, because those are delightfully ordinary activities, right? So even down to like the really ordinary stuff of eating and drinking, it's going to be fraught with fear. It's going to be covered over with fear. There's a similar kind of text, by the way, in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Let's go there now, and and I'm going to show you how these two ideas, Jesus is taking a similar idea, I think, from Ezekiel, perhaps from other places as well. And he says... Um, let me give you the background real quick. Jesus is telling his hearers, um, he's, making a, he's, he's making a prophecy, that in a few years after his uh, death and resurrection, we now know it is the year 70 A.D., Jerusalem gets destroyed again, right? Same thing Ezekiel's talking about. Same thing Jesus is talking about. Destruction of Jerusalem is coming. This is many hundred years later. And Jesus says, when that happens, when the Romans this time, not the Babylonians, come and destroy Jerusalem, as in those days, before the flood, so now we're talking about Noah, what was going on? So people in Noah's day were eating and drinking, and then we have this bit as well, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So Jesus is saying that when the siege of of Rome comes, when Rome comes to take out Jerusalem, It's going to be just like the days of Noah. What characterized the days of Noah? People carrying on with their ordinary lives and not believing that anything was going to change. That's what's true about days of Noah, days of Jesus, and Ezekiel. And Jesus uh, is giving these warnings in Matthew 24 so that people will listen to Him and know when this is coming and that it's coming. And it will be so terrible. And so Jesus is saying, when you start seeing this stuff happening, wars and rumors of wars, get out of Jerusalem because it's going to be awful. And history tells us that's actually exactly what happened. When the Romans came, the Christians, the great majority, were were outside of the city. They had long since fled because they listened to Jesus and they knew what was coming. So how does Jesus describe what's happening when the Romans come? He says, it's just like the days of Noah. Eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. Which means, if you are engaged in the ordinary stuff that you do when you're comfortable, you are not at all worried about what's coming. It means you're having an ordinary, boring day. Marriage means that you think you're going to have an ordinary tomorrow, right? 
You don't get married unless you think there's going to be a tomorrow. You make vows to this person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with them so you believe you have a rest of your life to spend. So Jesus is saying they're eating and drinking, present day stuff, the right now, and they're getting married, tomorrow stuff. They believe there's going to be a tomorrow, right? So carrying on with life as normal. And what happens? The Romans come, just like in the days of Noah. There's destruction and death. And these people get killed during the ordinary activities of everyday life. You might be familiar with the text. It goes on to say that two will be working in a field. One will be taken by those Romans and the other person will be left behind. Ezekiel is giving a similar kind of message. Ezekiel is acting out the anxiety and fear that they should be experiencing and ultimately will experience in the everyday activity of eating and drinking. So let's go back there right now. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 19. That's what he's being told to do. Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they shall, so that's why he's acting it out, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water in dismay. In this way, her land will be stripped of all it contains on account of the violence of those that dwell in it. Violence in the city. This is basically the Lord saying, the evil in your city that has terrified your citizens is now going to terrify you, primarily speaking to the leaders. Why? Why would God bring this? What's the next verse? And they shall know that I am the Lord. You know that this is the most repeated phrase in the entire book of Ezekiel because that is the central problem. Because when doubt and fear come, we are tempted to believe that God doesn't keep His promises. But what does God not do? God doesn't lie. That's the problem. That's what they don't believe. They have this image of a God, if you like, who doesn't keep His promises or who, who makes promises but then goes back if you're special enough so that they will know that I'm the Lord then. And so this is what is before us today. And the question I'm, I'm asking you is what, is what is the affliction or trouble or struggle in your life that's causing you to ask, is God real? Is God there? Or has God forgotten about me? Because those are the questions your heart is tempted to ask when things get really difficult. And so what, what do you do in those moments? There are lots of answers for that. I mean, one of them is that you keep asking those questions in the presence of those who love you, in the presence of this congregation, and they continue to pray for you and hold your arms up, as it were, as you have to navigate through the difficulties of life. But one of the things that you do is you confess with the psalmist what we just confessed a few moments ago, I will wait for you, right? And that's what you're saying to the Lord again and again and again. Essentially, what you're kind of saying is, I would rather not have to be patient, because who wants that, right? Talked about that last Sunday. Who wants that? But apparently it is in the Lord's providence that He believes we need that. And so that's what actually what we begin to see taking shape in the rest of our text. Ezekiel 12, beginning at verse 21, where the Lord asks Ezekiel this question, What is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel, saying, The days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Every vision comes nothing. Translation? Yeah, maybe that is what God has said, but I don't see it happening. Do you? Okay. That, that's the basic idea. So, so the Lord says, there's this proverb floating around my people, and they're asking each other, you know, okay, 
the days grow really long. Yeah, that's what he said a long time ago. I don't see it happening. Do you? I don't see the Babylonians at our gates. A few people got taken away. Apparently, God likes us more than them. Apparently, we're going to be just fine. Every vision comes to nothing. And keep in mind, like at this point, Ezekiel could even be charged with this because his visions haven't come to anything yet. The stuff he is saying hasn't come about yet. Uh, and then, in fact, the entire next chapter, chapter 13, has to do with false prophecy. And so we'll, we'll talk more about what, what false prophecy and false words are uh, in, in Sundays to come. I want to stay focused on what we've got here in chapter 12, though. Uh, but, and so we, we've got this, this, and I just want to point out something. Isn't it interesting that the questions, it, it, it's like there's this conversational theme floating around Israel, right? Well, I mean, it's been a long time since God said that. We don't see it. Where is it? Always keep in mind that time and distance, for whatever reason, can make your faith more difficult. It can make it more difficult to be a person of faith. Just because you've lived long enough maybe to cultivate a little bit of cynicism in your heart. And so words and expressions start to move throughout your community. And I think I brought one up last Sunday. The, um, you know, don't pray for patience because then you'll have to use it. <laughs> you're going to face the situation anyway. Now you're probably just going to sin in it more than you would have. Right? And so these, I, I guess I'm, I'm wanting to caution you here. Be aware and think what... What sorts of words float amongst us that are not God's words and make us doubt what God has said? Isaiah encountered a familiar kind of unbelief similar to this. That's what led him to, to Isaiah to say something, that's, a verse that's very familiar to you. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. It shall not return to be empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. So when God's word goes out, it accomplishes what God wants it to do. A great hope for preachers and for everybody, really, when you're sharing God's words with people. And Isaiah is facing the same kind of, has God really said? And so what is God's answer? What is God's answer to this, to this proverb that's floating among the people? Let's go back to Ezekiel, and you'll, you'll see God's answer. He says, tell them, thus says the Lord God, I'll put an end to this proverb. You won't talk this way anymore. Say to them, the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision. It's the exact opposite. Days are far away and where's the promise? Days are near. This is right around the corner. For there shall be no more uh, any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 13. But, but and so, uh, right, sorry. Uh, for I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. That's what they weren't believing. It will no longer be delayed. But in your days, O rebellious house, I'll speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. So catch the changes. Instead of days go by, the Lord says days are near. Instead of every vision fails or perishes, the Lord says the fulfillment of everything. Basically, it will happen and it will happen soon. And you might already be aware, there is a very similar text to this in 2 Peter, which is where we're going to go now. I'm just going to pursue the same idea as it, bears, uh, as it kind of grows into the New Testament in chapter 3. And this is so good, I just kind of want to walk through it with you for a moment. This is now the second letter Peter's writing. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, it's possible 
that there he is saying, there he is speaking of messianic prophecy. I think, I think very possibly he could be. I also think, if you could go back, sorry. When he says, remember uh, the predictions of the holy prophets, he's just saying, remember that there were prophets. And what did people do with those prophets? They didn't believe them. Right? So remember what happened to the prophets. Because then he goes on to say this. He says, knowing this, that first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. By the way, I think last days is a, is a broader term probably than we usually give it credit for, meaning the days after the resurrection. So are we in the last days? Yes, we have been for some time. That's another sermon for another time, though. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? There it is, right? Same kind of unbelief as in Ezekiel. Where's this promise we got told about? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's why I think he's saying, remember what happened to the prophets when you hear questions like that. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and by means of these, that is water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. We're back at Noah again. How interesting. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So we're back to talking about Noah and Noah as a parallel for coming judgment. Here's the point. Everyone in every age from Noah till Ezekiel till Second Peter till right now, everyone gets impatient with God. It's fairly consistent until God does what He says. And then either, depending on what it is, they either rejoice or they grieve. Peter says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. One of the worst things, I think, to happen to the church is the idea that this verse is given as a math equation. (laughs) Not the point, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and get out in front of that right now. What is the only way to put a thousand years? He said a thousand years, what? Um, let me find it. Uh, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, okay? So in the Lord's sight, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So what is the only way, you think about it, human beings, the only way to put a thousand years before your sight? It would be a history book, right? Or something like it. Study history. Lay it out before you. Kind of maybe get yourself a timeline of the last 1,000 years. And when you do that, you are going to start to see some connections, right? Like stuff that happened through history and that triggered other things, which triggered other things, which triggered other things. And this led to that, which led to this, and then to that, and then to this, and that led to this other thing. And you start to see a bigger story. And for the Lord Jesus... One day in your life has a thousand years worth of detail that he is sowing in. And to lay out 1,000 years of our years before his eyes and to see all the manifold connections in the timeline is absolutely no problem for him. But the fact that you live inside of time and can barely see one day clearly means that it's going to be harder for you 
to trust God because, okay, so I, I don't usually go for, for kind of cheesy little one-off-isms like this, but just take this one home because faithfulness is often weightfulness, okay? Yeah, faithfulness is often takes its shape by Psalm 130, I will wait for you. And we hate waiting. I mean, don't you hate waiting? Is it just me? The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Here's the point. When we have to wait on God, we tend to stop believing what God has said. Because there's nothing we hate more than waiting, and we don't realize He's being patient with us to get something, if you will, to burn something out of us. Now, this is, really, this is so important. I am not saying, I did not say, and you did not hear me say, that if the Lord is trying to work something out of you, that it's your job then to figure that out. And once you figure it out, the suffering stops. That's the game. That is not the game. That is not how life works. Okay? I, it just breaks my heart. Sometimes I will hear people say that. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm hurting. I know the Lord is teaching me something. I wish I could just figure it out so it would stop. At its root, that's just um, almost like God is just messing with you. I mean, it's, it's a really terrible way to, to view the Lord. So, so there's nothing more that we hate than waiting. This is hard for us to believe then that we can and, and should be patient with the Lord because... For most things in life, when you wait a long, long time, it just feels like hope is, is sliding away and dissolving. And we've got a kind of impatience that's kind of trained into us. That's uh, unavoidable. I think it's trained into a lot of people in a lot of generations, not just us. Because when you, when you engage in storytelling, which human beings have and love, you kind of have to shorten things, right? I mean, if a, if a movie, if you went to see a movie, and it said based on a true story of some guy's life, is it actually a day-by-day account of his life? I certainly hope not, because that would be unbearably boring. Okay, you've got a narrator. And then he sat down at the table. And then he poured the cereal. And then he ate the cereal. And then he got up, but did not do the dishes. I mean, like, it, it, would, it would be unbearable. So what does a movie do? Shortens it and jumps over large portions of time, right? And you wish... Somebody would do that for you sometimes because the day by day gets really difficult if you're impatient and waiting on the Lord for something. But at the same time, waiting for the work and rescue of God is also, if I can put it this way, baked into your very spirit because (laughs) it's why we love the stories where the superhero shows up at the last minute, right? I mean, if the, if the superhero showed up with like two hours to kill at the end of it, you'd be kind of be like, oh, okay. I mean, you, you'd actually feel let down. And so you want that in your stories, just not in your story, apparently. But, I mean, Superman catches Lois Lane just before she hits the pavement, right? <laughs> Captain Kirk is beamed up seconds before the whole place explodes. And for some reason, those are the moments that thrill your heart and mind and that you never forget. And so, I don't always know why God waits. What is it? How do you put it, Carol? It's, um, 
Right. God is never late. He just passes up every possible opportunity to be early. <laughs> okay? And I... I don't know if that's always true, but existentially and experientially, it certainly feels that way, especially in the midst of the more, the, the bigger afflictions that we carry. And so some of you are in a place right now where, where you feel like time is crawling by you, and you're trying to figure out whether or not you can trust the promises of God because it's been a while. You might be in rebellion, believing that God won't judge you. Very much like Israel, this text is for you today, for which the reversal of your expectations will someday be unspeakably painful. It also means, though, that Christians are ones who go through life trusting God when everyone else says you need to find something else to ground your hope, to give you strength, to set you at peace, and to give you a purpose. And so I don't know what it is for you today that you're having to walk through. It could be that your kid is far off from God and is still far off from God and you're really, really tired of waiting. Or you just say, maybe you're graduating from school and you're like, I have no idea what's next in life and that's really terrifying and there's no way for me to like get a guarantee of what's next and my life is about to go from like uber structured, I generally know what every day is going to bring to, oh my goodness, what is this new place and who are these new people? Maybe you're asking, I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage. I don't know what's going to happen to this other person, with this other person. I don't know what's going to happen to my community or to my country or to my city. I don't know what's going to happen with my health or with my sickness, as the case might be. What do you need to know in that moment more than you know you need to know it? Go back to Ezekiel. Here's what you need to know. He tells it to them. He says, what they need to know is that I will speak and it will happen. None of my words get delayed one second beyond what I will. It is not for you and I to have the 1,000-year timeline laid out like a scroll. That's not news to you. What is given to you then is to fear, love, and trust God in the midst of wherever you are and whatever He's given you to bear. And if it feels like a cross, <laughs> what did you expect, Christian? Who are you following? It's given for you right now today to repent of your sins of anger and rebellion and let's be honest, impatience. Because faithfulness is weightfulness. And this life where we're bound by time and space, sometimes the waiting really hurts. But what does God never do? God never lies. And time is part of God's work, not part of His waste. He's not wasting your time. He's not wasting anything except for that He means for your old, sinful, impatient, unbelieving, spiteful heart to waste away and to be put to death every day for the sake of your faith in your Savior who lives and never dies, and has promised you, I am the resurrection and the life, and He keeps every last one of His promises to you, and He does not lie. In the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous and true one, amen. Our Father, give us faith, faith in Your promises, faith to say with the psalmist, I will wait for You, whatever that means. 
Help us, Lord, because we struggle with this. We struggle. We're so impatient. We're so impatient. And when, the, when difficult times come, the first thing to go is our confidence in you. So, Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Give us patience with you that we might be the joyful people who trust in our Lord and not in our circumstances. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.